go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this September the 30th in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And on Mondays, we take a look at the readings for the following Sunday, which is the fifth Sunday at the Epiphany. So we're getting closer and closer to the season of Lent. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 58. The Gospel is from Matthew chapter 5. But the Epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And that's what I'd like to take a look at right now. Verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, that's the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. And he's making the point that when he proclaimed the testimony of God, which really means the witness of God from the Bible, he did not do so with lofty speech or wisdom. Now, that can cause a problem, because if there is anything that the book of Proverbs talks about, which we're looking at on Wednesdays, is that wisdom is really the message of Jesus Christ. So why isn't he talking with wisdom? Well, what Paul is doing in this section is making a distinction between worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom. This is very, very helpful for pastors. Because every now and then you do a sermon and you don't feel it's one of your best. You've gone through the lesson, you've talked about law and gospel, but it's not rated among your top 10. But after the worship service, there's always individuals who come up and say, what you had to say, I really needed to hear that. Thank you very much. Now, I didn't use a lot of wisdom from the world. It wasn't a lot of alliteration. It wasn't a lot of rhyme. It wasn't a lot of good metaphors, synonyms, or whatever is lofty speech in the world. But it still came across to people in a wonderful way. And that's really the difference between the Word of God and the wisdom of the world. In the wisdom of the world, you could have someone who's a good speaker read maybe from a telephone book, and you enjoy listening to his voice because he uses his voice to make it sound very interesting. That's the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of God is quite different. In fact, as we found out last week, the wisdom of God is foolishness to the unbeliever. I mean, whoever would say, yeah, that really makes sense. A carpenter hanging on a piece of wood and my sins are forgiven. That doesn't make any sense at all. That's why to believe what the Bible has to say, 
one necessitates faith first. It's impossible to reason somebody into faith. They need to, first of all, have that faith from the Holy Spirit. Then what the Bible says makes sense. Not the sense of the world. Because what sense can you make out of three persons but being one God? I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. People have tried to explain it with different kind of metaphors, like an apple has a peel. You know, that's the outside of the apple. Then it has the flesh, and then it has the inner core of the apple. Three things, one apple. But the problem is all three persons of the Trinity are equal in being almighty, in being everywhere, in knowing all things, and appeal, and the inner part of the apple, it doesn't make that difference. So it's really hard to explain reasonably with anybody what the scriptures have to say. And yet, Christians believe it because of the faith given to them by the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, you would think, therefore, that Paul is saying that's only the New Testament that we need to know. But if you go to the Old Testament, there are hundreds of passages pointing forward to the Messiah, namely Jesus, who would be put to death. It indicates in Psalm 22 that he's going to be pierced in hands and feet. Even God says the serpent in the Garden of Eden that through the seed of Eve would come a Savior. And Isaiah makes it very clear that he is going to be whipped on our account and the our sins are going to be laid upon him by God the Father. He is going to be put to death, but he will also rise from the dead. That's the wisdom of God. Makes no sense at all to an unbeliever. So how do you move an unbeliever to becoming a believer? Now, this may sound strange to you, but the answer is, you first teach them about the true meaning of the law. What? I thought the law doesn't save anybody. Well, that's correct. But most people are unaware of that. Remember the two big questions that you should ask a friend who is a Christian in the sense of going to church, doesn't matter what denomination. The first question is, do you think you're going to heaven? And it doesn't really matter what he says. He may say, oh, yes. Or he may say, I hope so. Or he may even say, no, I won't. If he says, yes, or I hope so, or even if he says, no, I won't, ask him the next crucial question. And that is, why do you say what you say? And I almost guarantee you that most people 
who think they're going to heaven will say, well, I'm going because of my works. And those who don't think they're going to heaven, they will say, I am not going to heaven because I'm not good enough. Now, believe it or not, even Lutherans who have been taught that we are saved by grace through faith, not on account of works, they still wonder when they're on their deathbed, is heaven going to be my home? And, and that's why the pastor, when he visits them, has to give them the comfort of what? That they're doing good works? No, that Jesus did good work by dying on the cross, by bleeding for our sins, by being buried and then rising from the dead and then giving promises, like even from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Jesus says to the believer in Christ today, the same thing he says to the thief on the cross. When you die today, you will be with me in paradise. And that's true about believers today. At the very moment of their death, regardless of the level of their sin, if they have faith in Jesus Christ, heaven is their home. They will be there in the spirit. They will repent because that is the motivation of the Holy Spirit to help you recognize where you are not following the will of God. The purpose of the Ten Commandments, yes, it is to show us the way we should be living. But the primary purpose in the church is to show us that we are not doing sufficient works to be saved. It is impossible that our works can offset our sins. The balance is too great. It took God himself becoming a human being to balance out our sins. That's what Paul is talking about. When he says, what I want to tell you is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 3. Now remember, Paul's talking to the Corinthians. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Well, he, of course, was a human being, and he recognized that he could be jailed, he could be whipped, he could even be put to death. And so with trembling, with weakness, with much fear, he spoke the word of God. And his message was not in plausible words of wisdom. In other words, they didn't make sense. Because Jews were looking for some sign. And Gentiles were looking for wonderful words of wisdom. The Jews, remember, asked Jesus, give us a sign. And the sign he gave them was the sign of Jonah. But, of course, they did not understand it if they were unbelievers. 
And the Gentiles, they wanted wisdom. They were great lovers of what we call philosophy, which are two words in the Greek, philia, meaning love of, sophia, wisdom. They loved to speak of wisdom and trying to make sense out of the world. But when they heard the Bible, boy, as Paul says, these were not plausible words of wisdom. They were not recognized as proper wisdom. And that's why Jesus himself was crucified, because they couldn't stand hearing that through a man, a Nazareth, a carpenter, by being put on a cross, was going to take away the sins of the world. Yet that was a message of John the baptizer. But it's not understood by an unbeliever. So don't try and reason with an unbeliever to help them become a Christian. You first show the need for becoming a Christian. And that was the task of John the baptizer. He went about preaching a baptism of what? Repentance. Now that didn't save anybody. No, but it made them aware of where they were failing in doing the will of God. And yes, they could have changed their behavior, but they couldn't change it to the level where they would be perfect in their obedience to God. That was impossible because we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. So what was the purpose of the law? Was to tell a person they needed help. A lot of times in the Bible, God refers to himself as the helper of Israel. There's a passage where he says, what did I do to you people? I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I took you through the Red Sea. I watched over you over 40 years in the wilderness and brought you to the land of Canaan. And what did you do as a result? You began to worship idols that you made yourself out of stone, out of rock, out of jewels. And then you kissed these idols and you even offered human sacrifice to these idols. Therefore, God took them into Babylonian captivity. And that is really the wisdom of the world, thinking that you can worship whatever you want and not the worship of the true God. Now, why was it difficult for an unbeliever to worship the true God? Verse 6, among the mature we do impart wisdom. So he's talking about those believers who are mature in the faith. They love to hear wisdom. I try and do that in every sermon. I have two points of every sermon. I always try and tell something that the vast majority in the congregation are not aware of. Something about the text, about the passage in the Bible that may really surprise them. Oh, we didn't know that is what it was saying. And you back that up with Scripture, interpret Scripture. That's the one thing. The other thing is I always end a sermon with the comfort of the gospel. 
not with a lettuce or French ending, namely, let us do that or may we do that. No, it's what God has done. So, I'm with Paul. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom, but it is not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. I mean, there are actually rulers uh, that are elected to office who believe in gay marriage, in abortion, in other things that are absolutely contrary to the word of God. And we are not to listen to them. We are to obey God rather than men. So what's so difficult about understanding the gospel? Verse 7, Paul says, We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now all you have to do is go to the book of Ephesians, and there it's very clear that before God even created the world, the Holy Trinity had decided that the second person of the Trinity would become human flesh in order to die for the sins of the people. But that was a secret. That was hidden. It had to be revealed. That, that's the difference between the Christian faith and every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world is built on the wisdom of man where it thinks what you do gets you ahead. It gets you ahead in school to the next grade. It gets you ahead in business so you get promoted. It gets you ahead in marrying whom you want as you are nice to the person. So it's just assumed that's how you get to heaven. No, what we impart is a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God had declared before he created the world. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understand this. Now, we have had rulers in the country who do understand it, but they are not rulers of this age when we're talking about just being secular and the wisdom of the world. They are also rulers in the spiritual realm, and so they do understand the message of the gospel. But those rulers of this age, they do not understand it. And then he gives the evidence that they don't understand the message of the Bible. The rest of verse 8. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, this shows that natural man, who is an unbeliever, cannot be reasoned into becoming a Christian. It's impossible. In fact, the Old Testament from Isaiah is quoted, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. There is no religion that comes anywhere close to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that a person is saved simply through faith 
in the promises of the gospel, not through works of the law. That's also found in Ephesians. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So until a person receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, they cannot understand or believe what the Bible has to say about hundreds of things. When I went to the seminary, 50 of the 55 professors there were false teachers. They believed in evolution. Some of them did not believe that God really died on the cross and rose physically from the dead. They said he rose spiritually. They did not have a problem with homosexual behavior. In fact, one was arrested in a park in South St. Louis for such behavior. And they would tell things that were not in the Bible again and again. They did not understand Scripture properly. In fact, they left our denomination and became part of the ELCA, ELCA, where you have two pastors, men, who are married. Imagine that, as well as women, lesbians, and they're for abortion. This is how far that church has left biblical theology. And that's why we in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, encourage members of the ELCA to come over to our congregation to hear the word of God and the sacraments rightly administered, which is not happening in the ELCA. Why? Because God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit, verse 10, searches everything, even the depths of God. That means that which natural man is unaware of. Verse 11, Paul explains, Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of the person which is in him? I've said at times that there are three things that a pastor can learn about members. Number one, their public behavior. Number two, their private behavior. And number three, their secret behavior. The public behavior is how they act like publicly at work, at church, in the neighborhood. Their private behavior is how they act within the family. Oftentimes, family members can tell you things about mom and dad that people in the public realm do not know. But then there's another level, and that's the secret behavior. Unless that is confessed to the pastor, a pastor doesn't know the secret thoughts of anybody in the congregation. And so that's why when we confess our sins, we confess everything of thought, word, and deed, which deserves nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. So just as a person's thoughts are only known by the spirit of that person, so also Paul continues in verse 11, so no one 
comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What is that saying? That says that unless you have the Holy Spirit, unless you have received it, either through baptism or hearing the Word of God as it's taught from Holy Scripture, you cannot understand the realm of the spiritual. It doesn't make sense. For we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. In other words, that is an answer to the prayer of David in the Psalms. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. That's what happened to Adam and Eve after they rebelled from God and in a sense died. But then when they heard the promise given through the serpent that through the seed of Eve would come a savior, guess what? She believed in chapter four, verse one, that her firstborn son Cain was the savior. I have gotten a man, the Lord. No, it was really the first murderer. She was right in believing that through her seed, but it would be centuries later through her seed, through the Virgin Mary. Therefore, we believe because of the Holy Spirit within us. So as verse 12 ends, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What does that mean? It's the word by grace. Grace means you freely receive a gift. There's no price to it. There's no cost to it. And what is that gift? It is the gift of the forgiveness of sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, part of the reading for this coming Sunday, is an excellent passage to help us to understand that the way to bring an unbeliever to faith is first of all, preach that they are sinners and then reveal to them of a Savior named Jesus who died so their sins are forgiven. That is the faith from the Holy Spirit, and we ask that to continue so that the church may continue to expand. We'll talk about the hymn tomorrow that's assigned for this Sunday with Mark Smith. I'm Tom Baker. Listen God to bless you. Each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO for a tax deductible gift to Law and Gospel. Please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll free 1-877-267-1962.
Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.